Everyday Sublime, the podcast that sheds light on yin yoga and meditation. I'm your host, Josh Summers, and I'm glad you're here. So before today's episode, I want to take a moment and let you know about a series of reflections that I created that serve as an overview to the essential themes of yin yoga. This series is based on many of the most common questions I receive from students in my training programs. It's free to all new subscribers. Just sign up for my email newsletter so I can email them to you. You'll get them automatically about once a week. To sign up, go to joshsummers.net forward slash subscribe. And as a bonus, you will get access to two practice videos, one sequence that focuses on the spine and one sequence for the hips. I'm really excited to share this material with you, my listeners, and I hope that the videos and reflections continue to support your practice and understanding of yin yoga. Okay, so for today's episode, I bring you part one of four of my interview with Dr. Timothy McCall. Timothy is the medical editor for Yoga Journal and author of the bestseller, Yoga as Medicine. A few years ago, Timothy was diagnosed with an oral squamous cell cancer that had spread to his lymph nodes. The cancer and his path through treatment to a cure is the subject of Timothy's new book, Saving My Neck, A Doctor's East-West Journey Through Cancer. In the first part of my interview with Timothy, we talk about what it was like for him to receive the cancer diagnosis and how he thought about approaching his treatment, bringing together the very best of Eastern and Western medical modalities. Now, Timothy is an old and dear friend of mine, and I'm very excited to share this series with you. His book, Saving My Neck, is a wonderful memoir of his experience. And if our conversation is inspiring to you, there's a link in the show notes for how you might purchase his book. And now, without further ado, I bring you Dr. Timothy McCall. Timothy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. So happy to be here. You know, it's really good to see you. I was trying to think when the last time I saw you, it must have been, I don't know, 2010, 2011. It's been a few years, right? Yeah, I came to Cambridge and actually stayed at your place one night years ago, but yeah. I can't remember what year that was. I think many, like many moons. 2011-ish, I think. Many moons. And you've been around the block since then, but I have to say you look well for the wear. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Or you don't Thank look worse for the wear, whatever the phrase is. Yeah. Um, which brings me to the topic of what we're going to be talking about today, which is that yeah. you've um, you've been through a cancer scare, um, and you've written a book about it called Saving My Neck, A Doctor's East-West Journey Through Cancer. And I wanted to have you on the podcast to talk about your process, your journey through this diagnosis, how you came uh, around with healing, um, but also to dive into some of the themes you talk about in the book related to evidence-based medicine um, and alternative therapies and how they fit in with evidence-based medicine protocols. Um, also, I want to be looking into kind of the broader uh, arc of your life, which you seem you kind of ex- excavate throughout the, the memoir um, here, looking back at the early uh, incidents in your childhood, traumas from that time, and how, like kind of the meaning, ways that they shaped you, 
um, to the man you become and also how they may fit in with the overall narrative of, of the illness. Um, and finally, I'd like to get into talking about yoga therapy. As, as a pioneer and leader in that field, I want to pick your brain around how you see that, that um, movement going forward. Um, but maybe just to start, uh, you got cancer, and it's a simple question, but what was that like? Did you have the feeling like, this, can't, this shouldn't be happening, I do yoga? <laughs> um, I don't think I had that feeling, uh, because... Um, you know, I don't view yoga as any kind of guarantee or any, you know, immunity against all bad things happening in your life. Uh, I mean, certainly I live a very healthy lifestyle. My diet's been good for years. I, uh, my, you know, I, I exercise, I do a lot of stress reduction stuff. Uh, you know, I mean, pretty much I was hitting on almost all the cylinders, uh, before I got diagnosed. So uh, it definitely was uh, kind of a shock. And, uh, you know, you, you definitely go through an emotional reaction to that. And, you know, there was a brief period where I kind of suspected that the, you know, small lymph node in my neck could be a cancer. I thought it was probably from an infection, but it didn't go away as quickly as I would have expected to. And so I was kind of creeping up on me that this really could be a cancer where I really kind of tried to bargain with the universe to, you know, please, like, I really don't want to deal with this right now. Uh, so I definitely went through that phase with it. Um, but uh, so it what, turned out. It, it turned out. We'll get to it, that. It, we'll, it, get to, it, we'll get to the good part. Turn to, we'll get to what it turned out to be. Right. Um, it, well, in the beginning, did, was this something you discovered? Um, well, yes and no, depending on how you look. So my uh, my partner at the time and I were lying in bed about five years ago, and she felt something in my neck that was an enlargement. Uh, and I recognized it as an enlarged lymph node. Now, I knew at that time that something like lymphoma or something, of course, I, you know, I, I used to practice medicine. I practiced internal medicine for more than 10 years in the Boston area. So, you know, I know uh, a, a, lone, a lone swollen node in the neck in the absence of other things is definitely a warning sign. So I was concerned about that. However, I had just returned from India. I'd been around farm animals and other stuff and figured, ah, maybe I'd picked up some weird infection, talked to my best friend who's an infectious disease doctor, my best friend from medical school, I should say, who's an infectious disease doctor. And he felt that likely it wasn't cancer, just given the overall situation. And we both thought it was reasonable to just watch it for a few months and see what happened. If it's a cancer, it's pretty much inevitably going to get bigger, or so we were thinking. And if it's something else, likely it's going to start to regress in the coming months. And that's exactly what happened. It got smaller and smaller by about a year later. It was about half the size it was. And so... I, in my medical career, had never seen a cancer do that. So I figured, you know, pretty low chance it was cancer. Fast forward a couple of years to 2016, 
you know, one of the things I do for kind of preventive medicine is I scrape my tongue every day. It's part of the daily recommendations of Ayurveda. It removes toxicity from the body. If there's a coating on your tongue, that's considered abnormal and potentially a sign of ill health. Now, I occasionally had tongue coating in the past, but during this time in the summer of 2016, I had it for about a month straight. And I thought, that is weird. So one day I got out a flashlight, went into the bathroom and really like put the light on my back of my throat. And I took a really good, good look to try to see what was going on. I wanted to see the back of my tongue, the vata area of the tongue, if you know Ayurveda. And, uh, and I noticed that one of my tonsils was a little enlarged. Now I have seen tens of thousands of enlarged tonsils in my medical career, but never just on one side. It's always both the tonsils that are enlarged. So I thought, hmm, and I didn't have any other symptoms. And I thought that was weird. Now, I also knew that lymphoma, because the tonsils are lymphoid tissue, so I knew that a lymphoma could involve the tonsils or the tonsil and the lymph nodes in the neck but then there was something that spoke against that, which was that my lymph nodes were on the right side of my neck and the enlarged tonsil was on the left. Normally, when you get that kind of situation, it spreads to the same side or it's, you know, so and, and same thing. And I also I went, went online, did some reading. I learned about a kind of cancer caused by the HPV virus, uh, the you know, human papilloma virus, HPV. Mm-hmm that can cause tonsil cancer. But again, the nodes are usually on the opposite side. So, you know, could have been that, but wasn't sure. And ultimately, that is indeed what it turned out to be an HPV-related tonsil cancer. No bigger than a dime mm-hmm. when I found it. So, and, and my doctors were shocked that I had seen it when it was so small. Uh, but the thing is, with that particular kind of cancer, which is growing quite a bit in frequency right now, um, when, uh, by the time the tumor is noticed, often it's already spread to lymph nodes. It's already metastasized to lymph nodes. And indeed, that was the ultimately the case with me. Now, in my case, it spread to the opposite side of my body, and none of my doctors could explain why that happened. Right. I had, I had a theory about it. Maybe we'll get to that later. I had a theory about why that might have happened, but... My doctors, they were just like, just a mystery to them. Just an anomaly. Yeah. Just like. Well, since you mentioned, and, what, what is your theory of why that, ha- what, what that might have happened? Well, you know, so one of the things I talk about quite a bit in, in saving my neck is fascia. And, and the way that cancer tends to metastasize along fascial planes in the body between the connective tissue. And that when there are areas uh, where the fascia is it, adhering to itself or old scarring or some other problem with the f- dynamic flow through the fascia, that seems to be where metastases are more likely to plant themselves. And I had had a significant spinal injury as a kid. I fell out of a second story window when I was 11 years old. It was diagnosed as having a wrist fracture, but probably I had multiple spinal fractures at the same time because 20 years later or 30 years later, I discovered that all my vertebra or many of my vertebrae in my thoracic spine were fused together 
They just naturally fuse together like calcium bridges linking the vertebrae. And uh, which I think was my body's attempt to protect my spinal cord from the unstable spine that, that, that I had. So since I figured that out and in my yoga practice, I've noticed that the prana doesn't flow as well on the right side of my body, mm. that there's that I have some scoliosis probably from the injury, some pelvic um, imbalance, probably from that injury. And then, of course, the, 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 the spinal fusions, the ankylosing of the thoracic spine. So I could feel that the prana doesn't flow as well on the right side of my neck. I've known that for years. I just Again, it's a palpable sensation that the energy, the, the, the feeling, whatever you want to call it, is much more clear on the left side of my body than on the right. And so, you know, now when I was going through my cancer care and my doctor said they had no idea why it could have gone the other side of the body, I had this theory about the fascia, but I figured they wouldn't know what the heck to make of my theory, so I never even mentioned it to them. Right. Yeah. They're, they're probably not up on uh, the latest fascial research. And, and... The, the, no, and actually, I mean, fascia is a remarkable blind spot. In, in modern medicine, uh, you know, fascia is still viewed at, by most physicians as kind of inert packing material for the body. And of course, you're well aware, and, and of course, you know, both through body work and through acupuncture, it seems to be, you know, fascia is pretty crucial and all that stuff. Right. So is your theory that, and I, I, we, I do want to get into looking at some of these early traumas that you endured. Um, uh, I mean, you fell through this, fell out of this window, which I do want to get back to. But um, you see that that injury caused the, the kind of uh, adhesions and, and solidification of the fascia that possibly made it more uh, available for the for the cancer to migrate more easily through it to the, to the to the opposite side. You know, that's so. So again, this is my speculation sure. about, about why why I'm the weird case where the nodes didn't follow the normal metastatic pathway down the anterior cervical nodes on the left side of my neck from a left tonsillar cancer, but instead jumped to the right. Like, so, so like, like my, my doctors were mystified. They like, that's very rare. And unfortunately, felt to be a negative prognostic factor, making me less likely to respond to therapy, making me more likely to have a recurrence, according to, 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 the, to the thinking. So, uh, and it was just like, you know, I have known this, you know, experientially from my yoga practice for years that I just have a lot of trouble. I mean, for years I had trouble just even bringing awareness to the right side of my chest and neck. My first yoga teacher, Patricia Walden, used to say to me, you know, move your right scapula in toward your spine. I'm like, I haven't had any contact with my right scapula in decades. I can't, I couldn't feel it. I couldn't tell if it was up or down or in or out. I, I, I just, that, you know, one of the things we see in yoga therapy is that often dysfunctional areas in the body are also dark to awareness. We have some bad air, something going on in area in the body, and we're also like out of touch uh, in, in terms of felt sense, proprioceptive interoception with that area of the body. Yeah. 
So you, at this point, though, you're you're staring down the barrel of this diagnosis, and from a wet, from a Western perspective, uh, the the three things I'm aware of that you that are available to folks are chemotherapy, radiation, surgery. Right. Um, all of those have, very, particularly chemotherapy, have very toxic side effects, um, and. How did you make sense of those options, and how did you think about complementing um, your Western care with complementary forms of care? What kind of calculus did you use in terms of evaluating what what protocols you would Im- implement in your in your own tailored therapy? Because in a way, what I really appreciate about the book in the way you wrote it is that because of your medical background, you're able to be a very aggressive advocate for yourself. Right. Um, and you are able to sort of stand eye to eye with your providers and make decisions that I don't think most the, the, the garden variety patient are going to feel comfortable making or standing up in a way that you did. And um, I just like to have you talk about that a little bit. because sure. I think it's well, really helpful you know, for people. And, and let me give you a little background on myself, which was my first book, which I wrote in 1995, was published in 1995. It's called Examining Your Doctor. And it was basically a guidebook for for self-advocacy in healthcare to be able to take your doctor's advice and deconstruct it by understanding what are their ideological biases? How much are they beholden to the lobbying of the pharmaceutical companies? How much do financial incentives shape you know, the recommendations they make, et cetera? You, you know, how up to date is your doctor so that when you have this broader picture of who your doctor is and what your doctor's values are, you can make a better decision. Okay? I, do, I remember uh, talking about that book way back. And I think you remember, remember you saying something like there are three words that if you never hear your doctor utter them, you should run the, in the other direction. And that is, I don't know. Yes. <laughs> if, you never, if, you're, if your physician never says, I don't know, <laughs> like run. I, I had forgotten it, although obviously you jogged my memory. Um, yeah. I, I mean, you know, so I think we need to be aware that there's a tendency among some physicians to really be overconfident in their medical knowledge. You know, one of the things I was taught in medical school was this old famous quotation from a historically famous physician who told his graduating seniors in medical school, half of what I've taught you is wrong. The only problem is I don't know which half. You know, so I, I think there's a tendency in science and in medicine at any point in history to be overconfident of the knowledge that we currently have and really think that you know, that's the be all and end all when very likely in 10 years, some of it's already have going to have been thrown out the window. And, and, and so, you know, I come at healthcare with some uh, skepticism, you know, but also not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, feeling like conventional medicine offers some tools. And, you know, for example, there are studies that have found that people who only do alternative medicine for cancer, that they die younger and more quickly 
than people who do a more integrative or even just a straight conventional approach. So, so I, I think there's a risk of only thinking that thinking the right thoughts and taking the right supplements or whatever is going to cure your cancer. And usually the people who go that route don't do as well. And, and by the way, in those studies where they don't do as well, where they die at two and a half times the rate uh, of, of people who, who do uh, you know, a more integrative approach, uh, um, what was I going to say? Um, sorry. No, no, it's okay. Um, the something about the people that don't take the, the conventional route. No, what I was going to say is the people who opt for only alternative medicine in those studies tend to be younger, more highly educated, and have higher income than people who go for straight conventional medicine. Mm -hmm. Those things would normally predict much better prognosis for any disease. And yet that population had a much worse prognosis when they went solely in the route of alternative medicine for cancer. So I wanted to balance them and, and I wanted to take advantage. And, and you know, there are some cancers for which modern medicine does not have any good answers. Okay, and my attitude might have been different if I had had a different diagnosis. But these HPV oral cancers are felt to be pretty responsive to therapy, responsive to surgery, responsive to chemotherapy, responsive to radiation therapy. Now, interestingly, among cancer doctors, oncologists, the radiation therapy is viewed as the primary treatment, that the chemotherapy is simply an adjunct to radiotherapy, which seems to make it be a little bit more effective by probably weakening the cancer cells enough that they become more susceptible to the radiation. But the cancer, but the chemotherapy by itself is never recommended as a sole treatment. And surgery um, was recommended to me, and, and the rationale for that was that they could get away with a slightly lower dose of radiation therapy if you got the surgery. Uh, but there really was no evidence that surgery increased survival benefits. And it obviously has a lot of, lot of side effects. And you mentioned the chemotherapy side effects. I mean, certainly bad side effects from, from chemotherapy, both in the short term, the ones we're all familiar with, and long term ones. I mean, I still, for example, my lymphocyte count, you know, type of white blood cell related to immune function has never returned to normal. My, I'm still anemic two and a half years later, and I may never totally have a normal blood count again because, you know, so, a certain amount of bone marrow damage was probably done by the, you know, the combination of the radiation therapy and, and, and the chemo. Surgery has a lot of side effects. One thing that I was concerned about with surgery, because they recommended not just removing the cancer, they wanted to do what I started you know, jokingly referring to as a bilateral modified radical neckectomy. They, they wanted to slice open both sides of my neck and remove all the lymph nodes from the front of both sides of my neck. Now, one of the main complications of breast cancer surgery is lymphedema blockage of, of, of lymph flow, swelling, increased susceptibility to infections. This can happen to the head after, after uh, neck surgery. And, and so I looked, and you know, I do criticize the way evidence-based medicine 
examines holistic healing methods. I think there are some deep mistakes that are made in the way we do that, which I think you and I are going to get into later. Yeah. But, but for things like, is this one drug better than this other drug? I mean, you know, a randomized controlled trial is a, is a pretty good tool for trying to make that kind of assessment. So it's not like I dismissed evidence-based medicine. And to me, there was very good evidence that radiation therapy was effective. There was evidence that chemotherapy boosted the effectiveness of, of radiation therapy. And uh, I found no evidence that, that surgery itself had any better outcome. So I felt just going with the two. So I had to go against my surgeon's advice. Um, and so, and, and then as I did research, and again, you mentioned because I'm a physician, I was able to, you know, read a ton. I, I went to India right before I was died, right before I was treated uh, to get some Ayurveda treatments. And, uh, you know, I brought a stack of journal articles with me. I read an integrative oncology textbook cover to cover while I was there. And so, you know, when I arrived for my treatment, I was loaded for bear. I was really, and, and I do have, I mean, I try to be polite and respectful, but I kind of have a take no prisoners attitude when it comes to the medical system. I'm not going to get anything just because you say you want me to do it. I want to be convinced myself. And I, and I, and I, you know, it had a funny conversation with my oncologist, who was a very nice woman and a very good and caring doctor. And she said to me in our very first meeting, I want you to know that you have a vote in everything that we do. And I remember thinking, not saying, but thinking, no, you have a vote. I have a veto. I remember that section. That was, that was pretty good. <laughs> that was pretty good. Yeah. So, you know, so the point is that I went along when it seemed like the good thing to do. But if I if I didn't agree, I was going to go my own way. And as it turned out, my oncologist was really not open to some very low dose herb stuff that I was going to do to support myself during my treatments that I had heavily researched. And, and the evidence was that these were not going to cause any problems by interacting with any of my conventional medical treatments. Right. You'd, you'd kind of put together a cocktail of herbs that you wanted to be taking on a regular basis. And yeah. then I think there was sort of conversation you had with the oncologist. And did she say, you know, you can do some of this stuff, but this other thing, other five things, none of no, that? No, she, she, she basically, well, it was kind of interesting because, you know, the, the situation in, in, in a university hospital, and I was in a, in a very highly regarded university hospital in the Southeast U.S. Um, first, you see the oncology fellow, who is the postgraduate in training, finished an internal medicine residency, now doing an oncology fellowship. And then after you see that person, then the attending oncologist, the attending physician comes in. So I'm meeting with the guy who's the, the fellow. And he's young and seemingly pretty open-minded about alternative stuff. He looks through you know, my very low dose of herbs, some medicinal mushrooms, uh, you know, some evidence that certain like, like black raspberries had anti-HPV effects. I figured, OK, I'll put a little scoop of, you know, black raspberry powder in there as well. Just 
pretty benign stuff, basically, and low doses of everything. And he said, you know, this all looks fine to me. I had been thinking of adding ginseng. He said, I'm not sure about ginseng. Let me talk with the pharma with the pharmacy staff and I'll get back to you on that. And then so that and then as we're having the conversation, the oncologist walks in to join us. Now I had printed out this whole list of everything I wanted to take. And, and so I gave them a copy. And she looked at it and she said to me, I don't care what you do for diet but I don't want you taking any of this stuff. And I just said to myself, I'm sorry, but you have just lost the right to be fully informed of what I'm doing. And the key, the key line there is uh, you said to yourself, in, the, in other words, you had that inter- internal conversation. This was not right. something you, you didn't say to your oncologist. You just lost the right to hear no, oh. no, what I'm going to be doing. No. You know, no. In fact, I sent her the book when it came out a few weeks ago, and I haven't heard anything back. I have a feeling she's <laughs> going to be surprised by some of what I was thinking at, at various times. Because, again, there's no reason to cause antagonism. There's no reason to cause a scene. I'm not trying to change her mind about anything, at least at that point. I'm just trying to get through this as skillfully as I can. I had really done my homework. I knew the stuff I was doing was extremely low risk. Was it going to help me? Who knows? I, I thought there was some chance it, it would. But 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 yeah, no, I, I chose to, to go along. And then those moments where I felt like I needed to actually be stronger and actually stand out for myself, I did it. Okay, we'll pause the conversation there for now, and I hope Timothy's experience of advocating for himself gives you a model of sorts for how to be your own advocate within any healthcare system. In the next installment, Timothy and I will dive into the topic of fasting and how he used fasting as a part of his treatments with chemotherapy and radiation. It's fascinating stuff, and I really look forward to sharing that episode with you in particular. Now, as a parting reminder, if you'd like to receive your free access to my Essentials of Yin Yoga program, just head over to my website, www.joshsummers.net forward slash subscribe, sign up for my newsletter, and I'll start sending all that material to you. Thanks so much for listening today, and I'll look forward to seeing you in the next episode.